Hi, welcome to this Physicians Weekly's podcast. My name is Dr. Rachel Giles. I'm your host for this podcast. And today we've got some great interviews as usual. This is Physicians Weekly. Welcome to episode 127. This week, we're going to speak to our regular contributor, Dr. Dyke Drummond. This is the sixth episode in a series of in-depth conversations with Dr. Drummond, MD, who's a family doctor and CEO of thehappymd.com. He has coached and trained over 40,000 doctors for 175 organizations and association clients since 2010. His burnout prevention matrix, White Paper, shares 225 different ways to stop physician burnout. Today, we talk about the difference between your job and your medical practice, recognizing the fact that they're almost never attuned. More importantly, he gives us some critical tools to mend that bridge and regain your grip on the work that you love. What are the changes that need to happen and how do you go about them? Dr. Drummond talks us through this complex and very sensitive process. Enjoy listening. Hello, everyone. So I'm here today with Dyke Drummond. He's been a regular contributor to the Physicians Weekly podcast, and he's always got some great things to, to tell us. Now, last time we talked with you, Dyke, we were talking about searching for a new job and when it's right to leave your practice and start a new one, when it's right to to stay. And I think, I believe you said that 90% of the time you could stay. 70%. Good correction. So we're going to try and talk about what happens if you are in that 30% that goes to a new job. How does one go about onboarding and learning about the new practice. Yeah, core to everything that I do as a physician coach, especially since I'm dealing with people who are struggling, burned out, it's not a good fit where they are. Fundamental to everything we do is having a target that we're aiming at, a true north, right? And that is always your ideal job description. And my experience is that when I ask doctors about their ideal job description, Nobody's ever contemplated the answer to that question. In an ideal world, if you were the king of the forest, if you could make a job that was perfect for you, what would that job look like? What kind of patients would you be seeing, seeing doing what kind of things for what kind of hours and what kind of pay on what kind of team, what kind of organization, where in the world? And what I get is an open mouth goldfish stare from the doctor I'm talking to. And what I want you to know is in this modern day and age, when you are almost certainly an employee and have a job description that was written by your employer that had nothing to do with your preferences for what patients you want to see and the way you want to run your practice, you must have some clarity on your ideal job description because it is a target that you aim yourself at. So if you think about this, what we're trying to do is increase the congruence, the fit between your practice and your job. Well, what's the difference between practice and job? Your practice is everything you do when the door is closed and the only people in the room are you and the patient and their family. It's where the magic happens. All the struggle is how you get there and all the stuff that's waiting for you when you walk back out of that room. That's your job. And 90% of the things that you're doing in your job are for the profit and loss statement of the organization that employs you. It has nothing to do with your practice. Now, here's what's really interesting. Who generates a profit and loss statement? Chief financial officer. I had the good fortune a couple of years back to actually speak to a group of 20 chief financial officers of the largest healthcare organizations in a certain southeastern state in the United States of America. 20. They each had multi-billion dollar profit and loss statements. And I had never spoken to CFOs before, but I've been saying for years, an enlightened CFO would understand the power of wellness to affect the profit and loss statement, and they would support it. 
But what I said was, hey, everybody, before we get started, how many of you have ever shadowed a doctor in your system while they were seeing patients? 20 in the, it's a Zoom frame with all the Hollywood squares, right? How many hands went up? Zero, I'm guessing. Two. I Two. said, how many of you do this regularly? Uh, One. One. And he said, yep, I started as a CFO in manufacturing, and the boss made me walk the line once a week. Uh, Can you imagine if CFOs in healthcare walked the line once a week, what they would understand wow. and know? This is the yeah. fundamental error of healthcare leadership in the United States of America. 18 of 20 CFOs, largest healthcare organizations in the state, had never watched a doctor work inside their system. They fundamentally don't know what's going on. So what you end up having is all these boilerplate job descriptions, and you were hired on a boilerplate job description. You had nothing to do with the, with the creation of this job description, and you're trying to take your beautiful art of the practice of medicine, what you do when you're in the room with the patient, and stick it in your round peg into that square hole. It doesn't work. So the mismatch between your job and your practice is what we're trying to minimize. And the question is, can you make the difference you want to make as a helper and a healer and a light worker? Can you make enough difference here that you're satisfied? Or does the, do the tasks that overwhelm you that have to do with the job overwhelm your ability to spend time with the patients and make that difference? I so see. what ends up happening is if you develop your ideal job description, and I think we did this last time, but this vent of happiness is really important. Yeah. Two circles. One is this job. One is your ideal job. And the question is, and this is a feeling vent. So you can do this right now, even if you aren't clear on what your ideal practice is. So you know what your current job feels like. You can imagine what your ideal job would feel like. How much overlap does it feel like there is between these two? <clears throat> what we find is, if your overlap is 40% or less, that's really uncomfortable, especially if it's going down. You're, you're headed for a brick wall. If your overlap is 60 or more, ideally 70 or more, you're in a pretty good state. By the way, nobody gets 100. What we're doing is aiming for a bullseye to get as close as we can, but nobody gets 100. I've never seen it happen. So the question is, here you are, you've got yourself a new job. You used your ideal job description in your interviews, so you're pretty sure there's a good overlap. But now you're going to live it and see how it turns out. And what I'll tell you is, first of all, when you onboard into a new position, there are several different types, several different psychodynamics of the opportunity you're onboarding into. Now, if you have a new job, I encourage you to go buy a book by a guy named Watkins, W-A-T-K-N-S. It's called The First 90 Days. And it is a basically the Bible for onboarding yourself into a new job position. And what he does is he says, take a look at the job you're onboarding into and let me know if it is, is it a startup? Is a new department? You're starting up a new department? Is it a turnaround? This is a department that's not been doing well and you're there to turn it around? Is this sustaining success? You're just adding you into something that's already fundamentally working. Because the way you present yourself and the questions you ask and the conversations you have are different depending on the scenario. So that book allows you, gives you a master plan for how you would relate to people. But the key is this. There are going to be things you want to change about your practice. It's inevitable. 
you had nothing to do with creating the job description. And inside the boundaries of that job description, you can color inside those lines, their constraints, they're not problems or things that are overwhelming. You can color inside those lines with any combination of the 64 colors in the Crayola box that you want. <laughs> so this is a chance for you to use your creativity. But ultimately what you're gonna need is the ability to have a relationship of influence with your boss. Now, one of the things that's difficult these days is when I take a doctor and jam them into the bureaucracy as an employee, sometimes it's hard to tell who your boss is, right? Right. So am I talking about the vice president who you report to in the physician chain of command, or am I talking about your office manager who actually deploys all the staff and your uh, the answer to <laughs> yeah. that question is yes, both of them. You're going to need to have a relationship <laughs> with both of them because one is much more involved in the day-to-day -day of your practice, right? But here's the key. Right. Everybody knows, and if you don't know this, I'm going to give you the golden ratio. Everybody knows in order to have a trusting relationship, a relationship where two people trust each other, and by the way, what you can do with that relationship is entirely dependent upon the trust between you and that person. In order to have a trustful relationship, you must have frequent encounters with that person, frequent conversations. They don't have to be long. And they have to be positive. If you look at the Gottman Institute data, what you'll know is five to one is the ratio. Let's just say your office manager, the person who manages the staff in the office where you work. And I'm an outpatient doc, so I say office. But it could be you're a hospitalist and whoever manages the staff on your hospitalist shift, right? When was the last time you saw that person for any reason? Was it a scheduled appointment? Who scheduled it, them or you? Was it a positive or neutral interaction or was it a negative one? Because here's what I see in every healthcare organization, because we're reactive to things that are happening around us and we're almost never proactive. You can't tell what you're going to do today when you go in. You're just going to react to whatever gets piled on your plate, right? The only time you ever see your boss is when you are in trouble. <laughs> your boss knows they should be having regular meetings with you to maintain this five to one ratio in an environment of trust, but they're too busy. So the only time they get off their butt and walk down to your ward to talk to you is when they're ready to chew you out. Right. That is not a relationship that has any trust in it. And you know what? If I talk to the bosses, here's what they'll say. The only time I ever seen one of my doctors is when they got something to complain about. Right. And that's just as bad. So what you have to do, what you have to do is start now. And even if you haven't changed jobs recently, start now. If the last time you saw your boss was either a time when they were telling you we were in trouble or you were complaining to them, we got to start. We're at zero right now. We haven't had a single positive interaction. Schedule a cup of coffee. They know they should be doing this for you and they're a little bit guilty about it, but they'll be thankful that you put it together and your key is to say, I want to make sure we stay, this is universal, on the same page. Right. Because I know none of us wants to waste any time or energy. Now, if your boss has an administrative assistant, that's the person you need to get to know. Because what you need to do is get on their calendar. Now, the hardest part is getting on their calendar. But once you're on their calendar, they're going to cancel on you. But now you talk to their administrative assistant and you're not scheduling a new appointment. You're rescheduling an old one and it's a lot easier. Okay? Yeah, yeah. So first thing, here's your action step. Who's your boss? Set up an appointment. 15 minutes. Figure out what their favorite coffee drink is. Mm -hmm. 
and just go and shoot the shit, okay? Just shoot the breeze with them. Positive interaction. How can I help you reach your goals? Because I know people have got goals for you above the chain of command. And just have these positives, stay on the same page, get to know each other, interactions with the assistant and your boss. And you'll notice things start to shift when you get to about the fifth one. Right. All of a sudden, you're their favorite doctor because you're the only one who doesn't complain to them when you meet. Okay? And now... All you have to do is figure out the change that you want to make in your practice that demands that you ask for permission, state it in a positive manner, and frame it in terms of two things. How this change, if it works out, if you want to be this, you can be a pilot project. You can experiment on my practice. Hey, boss, (laughs) let's do a little experiment on my practice because I notice a lot of people are having trouble with this same stress. Here's what I'd like to do. And not only will it lower our stress, but it'll make higher patient satisfaction, better quality, and maybe we'd even say an extra patient or two a day, right? Frame it in positive language around some benefit to you and some benefit to the organization and ask for what you want, as long as you know you have that positive balance. And what you'll find is that you'll actually have a a discussion as opposed to a straight no. And again, what you would do when you have something important for your practice that you want to ask for, don't do it in a text or an email. You've got a pattern of seeing these people live face-to-face. Make sure you just roll it into that regularly scheduled conversation. And I know that this is completely separate for everything to do with your clinical practice. Right. But if you aren't willing to take on these little checklists We teach this in a training I call How to Manage Your Boss, and it's about how to manage up and across the organization, meaning have relationships where you could have a little influence because you're on good terms and you can actually talk to each other, right? right? If you don't begin to have these regular meetings with the important people up and across from you in the organization, you're going to be swinging in the breeze just like everybody else. You're going to be complaining to them. They're going to be disciplining you for things that you don't deserve. And it turns out to be the usual hash that burns people out. Yeah, absolutely. No, those are great words. Yeah. And if you want, you can look at the Harvard Business Review, published an article called, guess what? How to Manage Your Boss. I just took it and adapted it completely for doctors. And I want you to know this game, this game of communication with your superiors, doctors have learned to see it as yucky and ugly and schmoozing and politics and things like that. And people get who, ha- who are in business school and get MBAs, they know how to play this game. They've learned how to play this game through their fraternities and sororities and through all the societies and things that went through their graduate education. This is why we're fish out of water in a corporate setting, because we never learned to do this. We're fiercely independent, right? Yeah, and we were too busy studying. <laughs> yeah, all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. So... Get prepared if you've never done this before. If you're inside you right now and you like your job, start building a relationship with somebody up the chain of command who can be a yes when you need it. And all it is is 10 minutes, 5, 10, 15 minutes, once a month, conversation over a cup of coffee to stay on the same page. Guess what, though? Again, it is a campaign. It is a sustained action plan. Because if you were able to do this once a month, how long would it take you to be at 5 to 1? Yeah. A good point. Six months, right? Yeah. And let me just say real quick, do you build trust fast or slow? 
five months. That's not as fast <laughs> as I would like it to be. Doctors work on a 10-minute time frame. You know that. That's true, yeah. So you build true. trust very slow. Do you lose trust? Super quickly. <laughs> Super quick. Now, what yeah. I'll tell you is that all you need is an eyebrow in the wrong place at the wrong point of the conversation. That whole five visits where the trust goes down the toilet. Mm. So you have to be impeccable with your word when you are with this person. Now, let's t let's discuss a little bit. Uh, but again, this is part of our how to manage your boss. And can, you, can you talk shop in those things? Can you talk about the good Absolutely. things that are happening? Absolutely. You can talk about, you know, really enjoy working with this person or the system Absolutely. Is, is supporting me. So it's good to give positive feedback and keep it at that level, but you do want to talk about work, right? Oh, absolutely. And what I'm yeah. saying is that there's an old phrase, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Yeah. <laughs> and That's in right. these conversations, and I want to say I want to show just remind you how extraordinary this would be for a direct report of yours to say, "Hey, can we have a cup of coffee once a month just to stay on the same page and then have a collegial conversation?" about just the stuff that's going on at work as opposed to me thumping on the table and saying you got shit for brains and yeah. you need to change something around here. Are you with me? Yeah. I mean, that is a really rare thing. So you get to be seen as a standout very quickly because nobody else is doing it. The only people in the organization that are doing this proactive meeting are people I coach. Right. <laughs> nobody else is doing it, I promise you. But here's the thing. Doctors and administrators don't mix. It's not a personality thing. It's that administrators ask you to do things that incite an emotional response. And one thing that I know is that it's not very long that you can sit with a manager or an administrator without running into hypocrisy. Mm. What's hypocrisy? The organization's mission statement says this, and we're doing this. And the challenge is when a doctor witnesses hypocrisy in a conversation or a meeting, we go absolutely apoplectic. <laughs> we completely lose it. And you know what I'm talking about because you have yeah. too. And yeah. I'm talking to you, dear, dear listener, you, dear listener, you've done it too. We're mm -hmm. wired this way because there are certain ethical barriers you shouldn't cross. We feel that they are sacred. Like you're just doing this for the money. Damn right they are. That's their job, right? But we have to keep them inside the lines. But the challenge is, if you lose your temper in one of these meetings, what does your ratio go to? Zero. Just like that. But you can't stop the emotions from coming up. So what we teach, and it works like magic, two techniques. When you sense an emotion, name the emotion. Do not become it. This takes right. a little bit of practice. Name the emotion, don't become it. So I could say, oh, Rachel. Feeling irritated. Yeah. You know, Rachel, when you were talking about that new program for uh, post op follow up, I got to let you know a whole bunch of anger came up for me anger and frustration. And, you know, I want to pull my hair out. I can tell you that. Notice, I, am I angry right now? No. No, but I'm communicating my emotional response to this person because they might not have been aware because they don't see things the way a doctor does. So name it. And then the second thing you do is what we call deep Columbo. Now, if you remember Columbo, the 1970s, I think Peter it was. Falk. Yeah. Peter Falk. He had a glass eye, right? But he, yep. was a, he was a cop. He was a, a detective. And Columbo had a magic power. Somehow he got the, the crook to always just confess right to his face. You know how he did it? 
by leaving the room and then coming back, right? Wasn't he, that would his ask signature? A, he would ask a very simple set of questions. Yeah. Now, what he would ask is, and he had a, a, a chewed on cigar and he had a glass eye and he put his hand on his forehead and his cigar to his mouth and he Ah, oh, you know, you know, Rachel, I'm curious. I'm confused. Maybe you could help me out here. Now, I just want you to know that I've never heard a doctor, especially in a discussion with an administrator, use that turn of phrase. I'm curious. I'm confused. Maybe you can work, help me out here. You can meet doctors go, what is wrong with you? This is unethical. I can't believe we're doing this. You've got a whole bunch of manure for brains. I'm out of here. And they thump the table and they storm out of the room. And they do it really early in the meeting, too, because the doctor needs to see something happen in the first five minutes or they're out, right? So that doesn't work. That gets you labeled disruptive, gets you rolled out of the staff. If you're a woman, that gets you labeled with the B word on your forehead and then yeah. never washes off and nobody will ever listen to you again. So first of all, name your emotions. Don't become them. And then here's why Columbo works. You know, you know, Rachel, you said we were going to do this program, and, and this is what the mission statement says, and you know what? I don't have this MBA thing, but I'm curious. I'm confused. Maybe you can help me out here. And here's what's happening. Here's the psychodynamics. Have you ever seen two dogs at a street corner that don't know each other, and they're circling each other like this, but you don't know whether they're going to fight or not? And then one of the dogs decides to roll over and show the other dog its belly, and now they're all friends and they're sniffing each other's butts and they're going playing off in the community. Well, what you're doing by this speech pattern is pointing out hypocrisy as a subservient role. You are acquiescing to their superiority and their intellectual function and you're asking them to address it. I'm curious. I'm confused. Maybe you can help me out here. What's that all about? How does that work? Right. And you got to practice it because it needs to actually be sincere. You've rolled over and showed them your belly. And the really fun thing is, this is a psychopath test. <laughs> You're pointing out obvious hypocrisy. Are you with me? Yeah. It's, it's, it's a screaming red light siren in the room. And, and as soon as you go deep Columbo, you have to commit with all of your might to not being the next person who speaks. There's going to be an uncomfortable silence because you've called them on it. In a way they can't not answer. You've done it as politely and calmly as you possibly can. And you have to let them answer. And they may put their hands on their hips. They may pace back and forth a couple of times. Here's what a psychopath does. Dodd, Dyke, you're just pulling my chain. Get out of here. Go back and see some patients or something. That's a psychopath. But a real leader would say, you know, you're right. That doesn't make any sense at all. You have any thoughts about what we might do about it? And all of a sudden, we're on an actual constructive conversation, right? Right. So the keys are have a relationship with your boss. Never lose your temper. Name your emotions. Don't become them. And when you see hypocrisy and are about ready to blow, go deep Columbo. Here's the speech pattern. Everybody, say it after me. All my dear listeners, please say it after me. I'm curious. I'm curious. I'm confused. I'm confused. Maybe you can help me out here. Maybe you can help me out here. State the hypocrisy and then yeah. zip it. Zip it. And I will tell you, this may sound a little bit hokey or a little bit simple or a little bit goofy. For 14 years now, we've <laughs> trained thousands of people in this technique, and they consistently come back and say, oh, my God, that worked like crazy. I can't <laughs> believe it. I'm not, you know, I thought I was going to get labeled, but that is, I did this, and it was awesome. And the other thing I'll tell you is, if you do Columbo 
and you get the psychopath response, polish up your resume and get out of there. Mm. Yeah, no one wants to work with a psychopath. Most of us have at some point or other. So, right. I think most of us have learned that that's not a desirable function. And then over time, as you develop your relationship with your boss, and as you get more and more clear on your ideal practice, and you make some changes to get closer and closer to that in the Venn of the Venn diagram, you begin to adjust the job to your practice. And what you'll notice is you'll have more and more frequent ideal patient encounters. It will be more and more frequently that you'll come home and say, honey, 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 sit down. I got to tell you what happened at work to me today. It was awesome and to be telling those stories, yeah. right? And it'll feel like it's worth it. That makes this a, a, a tough job bearable, doesn't it? So, Well, you have to get a little... A little bit of sugar with the medicine, you know, a spoonful right. of sugar makes the medicine. You got to get a little bit of what made you a doctor in the first place. There was a longing back at that fork in the road to be a helper and a healer and to make a difference. And if it feels like there's just so much overwhelming busyness and the whirlwind of all the stuff I have to do for my job that I can't make the difference I want to make, one of the American colloquialisms that describes this is is the juice worth the squeeze <laughs> <laughs> or do you have to squeeze so hard to get a drop that it's just not worth it and that's reflected in your values on the van of happiness right. right right okay that's terrific and so okay the the you've joined a new practice you've gone through this you've made your scheduled appointments let's just say you've gotten through the first two years what do you need to do to maintain this kind of level of fen happiness. It's, well, here's it's what, a constant here's renewal, right? I mean, you have to well, review the situation. How, how frequently do you recommend? I recommend that a doctor, even if things are going magnificently, and maybe even especially if things are going magnificently, review your, first of all, have your ideal job description written down and pull it out every quarter and ask yourself, what is the overlap that I have now? What are some, there will always be things you'll want to change. What right. are the aspects of my practice I want to change in this next quarter? And have an active plan of what you're going to do to continue to keep this ideal practice on track because nothing's static. Right. I had a stroke two months ago. That's a wake up call. Did you? You're gonna, I'm, I'm neurologically intact right now, except for these two fingers in my left foot, right? But gracious. I, I mean, I mean, and I saw a quote the other day that was magnificent. It said, it would be so much easier if everybody realized that being able-bodied is just a temporary situation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you're going to change. You're going to get older. You're going to have kids. The kids are going to leave the house. Everything's going to change over time. The profession changes at lightning speed. The, the accumulation of information in every specialty right now has gone completely horizontal. We are no better than our ability for Google just like our patients are, because you cannot physically keep up with any specialty True. in any way. So the profession is changing. The political landscape of your organization changes. There's so much mergers and acquisitions and failures and all that kind of stuff. And, and just remember, if you've got a good relationship with your boss and you're having monthly meetings with them, what happens if you get acquired and that person goes away? You got to start from scratch. scratch. You got to start all over again. And you have to always be measuring uh, excuse me, be uh, optimizing your relationship with the folks above you in chain of command. Because why? Because people don't quit their job 
they quit their boss. And, and everything that you've created to match your ideal practice and your relationship with a great boss goes poof with the merger and acquisition, whether you're the buyer or the seller. Seen it over and over and over again. Oh, that's so uh, interesting. I think this is very pragmatic advice. And personally, I think I can <laughs> take a couple of these tips. I do actually do talk to my boss every month uh, just for a cup of coffee. I just did it yesterday. Yeah. And it's it's always a good, you know, it's always a good thing. You know, in addition to talking about strategy of the company, I feel like I'm on top of more than my colleagues are. You're the um, good doc. You're one of the good doctors. Who I've always done it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, and let me just add, let me just tell you before I before I started to pursue this as a coherent strategy with my clients at the very beginning of my career as a as a burnout coach and trainer i had the privilege of training two 400 person rooms of administrative leaders at kaiser in northern oregon Mm -hmm. and they were wanting me to talk to them about doctors and burnout and this was way back in 2012 or something like that and one of the questions i wanted to ask this group because i was curious i said how many of you if one of your direct reports called you up and said, I want to have a cup of coffee with you months a month, I was just trying to gauge how they would receive that inbound request. I said, how many right. of you would see that as a positive development? Raise your hands. Because 400 people in the room, how many hands went up? <laughs> I would hope a lot. All of them. Yeah. Room number two, I did the same thing. How many hands went up? All of them. Because I, I think what's happening is they know they should be doing that, scheduling this thing, these meetings with their direct reports. And they know they're not. And if I schedule the meeting with them, then I'm letting them off the hook. That's right. But I will tell you, if you, if, if an administrator has 12 doctors that report to them, you're going to be the only one that has regular yeah. meetings with them. Do you schedule it? And you're probably the only one in your group that that has regular meetings with your boss. I am. And then I trickle down the, the things I, I learn, you know, cause it's often strategic, you know, uh, we need to, you know, we need to take this a turn in this direction, or we need to incorporate new new procedures. We need to incorporate this and that. Uh, we're buying some new machinery, things and like that, and then means, it gets trickled down. Yeah. Well, what it also means is that notice if you're the only one, which means nobody's doing it right now. <laughs> it is really easy. This is really low hanging fruit for you to be able to improve. Yeah. your position of influence and to improve your practice simply because nobody else is doing these simple things. Correct. And it does take a little bit of extra work, but I'm talking about 15 minutes once a month. Huge return. Huge. Right. Earth shattering. Great. And we're going to wrap this up. So do you have any final words of wisdom here on this topic? Well, and again, it all gets cued by clarity on your ideal job description clarity on what you want and what you don't want in the job. You know what you're going to do with your practice because as soon as that door gets closed, you go into autopilot on that and it, the magic begins to happen, right? right? And the healthiest doctors will be those who step out of their whirlwind on a regular basis to look back at their practice, at their job, and change the things that need to be tweaked and adjusted. We actually do a weekly, I call it the weekly power half hour, Mm-hmm. And what you do is you have gratitude for the week past. You review the actions you took in the week past. You plan the week ahead for life balance. And you review your ideal job description. And if mm-hmm. you do that every week or every month or every quarter, regularly step out of the whirlwind to establish a pattern of working on your practice, not just in it, you'll have a continuous improvement cycle. You'll be more satisfied with your practice if it's possible here because 30% of the time, it's not possible. 
because the person you're trying to interact with is a psychopath. Right. But 70% yeah. of the time, you can be tweaking this better and better. Because 70% of our clients over time, thousands of clients, have been able to get the overlap to the place that they were comfortable with without having to change jobs. Well, it's an incredibly powerful and optimistic message. So I appreciate that. Thank you so much for sharing these words and insights. And I think that they are very actionable. Well, and I, I call it take back your practice yeah. from the jaws of your job. Job. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Dyke, for your time today. And we'll talk again soon. You bet. That's all the time we have for this week's podcast, but thank you so much for listening, and I hope that you found this an important topic to address. Please let us know if you have feedback. We're always open to it, and we're happy to take any requests or suggestions into account. All right, stay safe and stay healthy, and talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Physicians Weekly. Physicians Weekly offers in-depth interviews with the most highly respected experts in the medical community. Physicians Weekly is produced in collaboration with Medicom Medical Publishers and Physicians Weekly. 